0: You're listening to Sermon Audio from River City Church in Fargo, North Dakota. River City Church exists to make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus through the gospel of Jesus. You can find out more about River City by visiting our website at www.rivercityfargo.org. Amen, let's pray. Father, we sing this good confession that you have rescued us from death. You have brought people, your people, from death to life. And so we want to sing and exalt and worship you for your goodness and your mercy on display to us in your rescue and your redemption. Pray that our worship wouldn't stop when we stop singing, but by your spirit we would continue to exalt in your word, exalt in who you are, that our worship would continue So, Spirit of God, would you continue to to tune our minds and our hearts to join our mouths in singing praise to you as we come to your word? Would you help us, please, teach your people, equip us with all that we need for your glory and for our joy? We pray this in Jesus' name, our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Uh, Welcome. We are continuing in the book of Jude. So you can turn in your Bibles to Jude. It's right there at the end, right before Revelation. If you need a Bible, some folks will be coming around here in just a moment. Um, This is week four out of five, where we've broken Jude up into a couple of weeks. Um, If you remember, Jude's kind of a, uh, it's a short letter, 25 verses, and it's designed as an exhortation. Uh, It's a direct and a strong challenge. It is an encouragement, to be sure, but it's a challenge. It's a call to action. And Jude's primary charge is to contend, which is how we arrived at our theme uh, for the book. So the umbrella, the theme under which all of our our weeks kind of sit is this. Say it again. I said it last couple of weeks. Jude is a call to contend for the faith by exalting in the truth, rejecting what is false, and holding fast to our faithful God who holds fast to us. Let me say that again. Jude is a call to contend for the faith by exalting in the truth, rejecting what is false, and holding fast to our faithful God who holds fast to us. So let's read our text today. We're going to read like we've been doing. We're going to read all of the text of Jude. It's not that long. Um, I'll read it. You can follow along. And then we will find our section towards the end today that we'll dig into a little bit deeper. So this is the word of the Lord for us from the letter of Jude. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved of God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said... The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by the winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones, to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions, the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen? This is the word of the Lord for us. Now, if you'll remember... Jude's primary uh, exhortation is that phrase, in, he says in verse 3, to contend, to fight, to contend for the faith, to contend for the truth of the gospel of Jesus in a world of counterfeits. You remember, if you have been with us, Jude doesn't start with a practical list of how to's, he starts with identity. He addresses his followers um, excuse me, he adjusts followers of Jesus based on their identity in Christ. He says, you who are called, you who are beloved, you who are kept by Jesus. He's he's reinforcing their gospel identity. And it's from then that identity, who they are, that he says now contend. And then we looked at verses three and four. Because why? Why contend? Why fight for the truth? Because, well, false teachers and Counterfeits exist all around, so we exercise discernment. And in in exercising discernment, we contend for what is true, not only against things that are blatant and obviously false, but against things that are close, things that are almost right, so that we can stand against the schemes of our enemy who hates us and who hates God. And then last week, we looked just briefly in verses 5 through 16 and how Jude encourages us to remember that because God is just, and because he has always been just, and because God is unchanging, he will be just and bring about full and final justice when Christ returns in glory. And so I just want to give you a brief recap of where we've been, because coming off of last week, verses 5 through 16, it's very possible that you might have listened uh, last week and been with us last week, or maybe you're reading along, and verses 5 through 16 feel kind of heavy, right? I mean, Jude essentially gives us an Old Testament history lesson on the righteous judgment of God against sin and sinners. Look at verse 15 that we read last week. That God is rightly executing judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such ungodly way, right? And although we did end last week with the sure hope that God will be faithful to his gospel promises, that Jesus has absorbed in his death on the cross, the punishment for sin that's due us. Instead, he took it on himself. You still might feel a little overwhelmed, not only by just the weight of that. And to be fair, it probably should be weighty. But if you have, like, tracked anything going on in the world in the last week, it's not like it's gotten any better between last week and this week. Right? And so this is why I think Jude's words are helpful for us. I mean, just look around, right? A quick scrolling of the tweet machine will tell you, War, murder, death, abuse, trafficking, malice, rage, jealousy, strife, greed. There's probably a part of us that feels like, you know, I think it'd be okay if God pulled the number 16 and just opened up the ground and swallowed some evil people. We'd be okay with that. I heard one amen, right? And just because like we looked at last week, because of all the brokenness around us, We might be tempted to shrink back into fear. Or if you're like me, it's not fear so much. It's just cynicism. Right? I just, I stop caring. And just as Jude finishes reminding us about the reality of sin, the weight of judgment, he gives this little encouragement here that we're going to look at today. At least I think it's an encouragement. We don't shrink back, and we don't just hide in a cave together until Jesus comes back. Jude's giving kind of an encouraging pep talk here to not fear, but instead to pursue perseverance. So here's the question I want us to ask as we come to the text today. As we look at uh, verses 17 through uh, 23, I want us to ask this. How do we live in a world that's this broken? How do we live in a world that's this broken? And and Jude kind of gives a simple encouragement that we'll unpack. That by faith in Christ we persevere. And I'm gonna unpack what that means here in a minute. But but before we do, look at what Jude says in verse 17 and 18. He says, coming on the heels of God's just judgment against sin and sinners, the reality of the broken world and God being just, he says, but you must remember. So here's Jude with another, don't forget. And he connects it to a don't be surprised. So it's not only don't be forget, he says, don't be surprised. He says, uh, the apostles of Jesus Christ, verse 18, they said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. Jude is quoting Peter. Apostle Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 3, First, uh, knowing this first of all, this is Peter writing, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing because that's what scoffers do, they scoff. Scoffers will come in the last day with scoffing following their own sinful desires. And Jude says, Peter I already told you this is going to happen. Paul says something very similar to, to Timothy. The last thing that Paul writes to young Timothy, pastoring the church in Ephesus. Paul says this, but understand this, that in the last days there will be times of difficulty. Big duh moment there for Timothy, right? I know this. And here's how Paul describes those days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, take note of that kids, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. That's a great word picture, isn't it? Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Sounds a little like the world. And here's how Paul ends this little section. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. So Jude is saying, don't be surprised by this. Remember, you've already been told this is what it's going to look like. And then in verse 19, Jude reminds us that these people, these false teachers, these counterfeits among you, verse 19, they're consumed with the love of the world and they are devoid of the Spirit. Meaning, plainly, they don't have the Holy Spirit. They're not saved. They're not in the They're counterfeit because when the grace of God opens our eyes and we we receive the gospel, we come into faith by God's grace, we receive a gift. The Holy Spirit then lives and dwells within the believer as a gift, as a seal. And so those who are false, as Paul says, they might look the part, but they are without the presence and power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within every believer of Jesus Christ. And as an aside, it's the counterfeits, Jude says, not the faithful that are the source of division. Look at verse 19. He says the divisiveness that is so often called out in the church and divisiveness should always be called out. Jude says that the source of so much division are those who are not submitted to Jesus, those who are driven by their own desires and and passions and are without the Spirit. And then Jude says in verse 20, but you, beloved. And so he draws this contrast. So he he opens this little section by saying, don't be surprised. Don't forget. It's going to be wild. But you, beloved. That word beloved is the same word beloved we read in verse 1. You who are called beloved of God the Father and kept. He says, but you. And this is where Jude begins his encouragement to persevere. Perseverance simply means this. To stand strong, to keep going, to not give up. That's perseverance. And I think perseverance, according to Jude, has two elements that he unpacks that we're going to look at today. That's how we're going to look at our text. Two uh, parts of what it means to persevere in this world in which we live. One is internal and one is external. There's an internal reality. Perseverance in this life by faith in Jesus means, according to Jude, that there's some internal work That has to take place in us. And there's some external work to which we are called. Let me just unpack that. Let's look at the first one first. Here's the internal work starting in verse 20 and verse 21. The internal work of perseverance is marked by keeping. That's the primary imperative or or command statement that Jude gives in this little section. There's a handful of verbs like action words in here. The primary one, I think, is this phrase where he says in verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. We'll get to those other ones here in a second. But you might read that phrase. Maybe you've read ahead. Maybe you've read this before. Maybe when we read through it just a minute ago, you're like, okay, what do you mean by that? I'm now confused. I mean, we make a big deal about God being the one who keeps us. Right, We just talked about that the first week of Jude. And a few verses ahead, when we get into the the closing doxology of Jude, what does Jude say? Now to him who is able to keep you. So what are we saying here? Because you who are kept, to him who is able to keep you, and here in the middle of this keeping sandwich is keep yourselves in the love of God. So I think what Jude kind of appears to be saying and how we can kind of look at it is this. You are kept by Jesus and he's promised to keep you. And as you live here, the encouragement is to keep yourselves in the love of God. I think Jude is simply saying this. Remain in your calling. Remain in your position, in your identity as a beloved son or daughter. You have been called You are beloved. Jesus will keep you. So stand firm right there where you are. If you still struggle with this, we have some words from Jesus that might help us. John chapter 15. You can turn there if you'd like. Some of it will be on the screen as well. Jesus is explaining to his disciples the relationship between God the Father and himself as the eternal son. John 15 verse 5. He says, I am the vine. And then he turns to his disciples and says... And you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Down in verse 8 of John 15, Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified. By what? That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. So, and and this is remarkable by the way. Maybe you didn't pick up on this. As the Father loves the Son. Perfect, covenantal, steadfast, enduring love. As the Father loves the Son, Jesus says, so I love you. That's beloved. Don't don't lose that, okay? Jesus says, the Father loves me and I love you, so abide in my love. So really, I think all Jude is saying is just repeating what Jesus said in John 15. When Jesus says, abide in my love, stay close to me, Jude is saying, keep yourselves in the love of God. Stay connected to the vine. Stay close to Jesus. And now you might still bristle a little bit at this and go, yeah, but if that's dependent on me, I got questions. Are you saying that we need to keep ourselves in God's favor by some kind of like obedience? I got to attach myself somehow because that sounds a lot like works righteousness and legalism, Jake. But I'm going to argue that love that we're talking about here, the keeping and the abiding that Jesus and Jude are talking about are not at odds, okay? Alistair Begg uh, uses a really good example about marriage when he talks about this idea about love and obedience, and he's got a Scottish accent, so he says it way cooler than I do. But here's, here's the question he asks. He says, How many married people are in the room? You don't have to raise your hands, but you can. How many married people in the room? And then he says, How do you keep yourself married? And then he answers, by keeping yourself married. How do you keep yourself married? By being true to your covenants. I said, I will. Yeah? You said, I will. He continues. He goes, it's not legalism that keeps us true. It's love. It's a covenant-keeping love. So there's no collision between love and obedience. In fact, and he quotes John 14, the chapter before we read, where Jesus says, if you love me, you'll do what I command. John 14:15. if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. So So I just don't want us to be afraid of the word obedience or afraid of the idea of keeping here in this context as if it's wholly dependent on us because it's not. But I also don't want us to shy away from it as if we aren't being actually called to hold on to something because we are. You, if you're a follower of Jesus, you were dead and raised to life in Christ. So now be who you are. Pursue righteousness because you are already righteous in Christ. Just like we express our love to our spouses by living according to our vows, we made those in love, right? We express our love to Jesus by walking in covenant love and obedience to his commands. These things are not at odds. And the primary imperative or the, the thing here that Jude is trying to nail home is keep yourselves. Stand close. Stay, abide in And then these other verbs, these other kind of things around that, I think relate to how it is we walk closely with Jesus. And so Jude highlights, you guessed it, three things which help us in the keeping of ourselves. Here's the first thing he says. He starts in verse 20. Build yourselves up. He says but you beloved verse 20 building yourselves up in your most holy faith. What's interesting is this is the only place in the New Testament that that word holy is a modifier for the word faith. What kind of faith? Holy faith. It's the same faith that Jude says in verse 3 is the one for which we are contend, the faith once for all delivered to the saints. He's talking about an objective truth reality as opposed to your personal subjective belief. He's not saying build yourselves up in what you think about Jesus. He's saying build yourselves up in your most holy faith. And what is that faith that was delivered once for all to the saints? It's the gospel of Jesus that sits at the center of our most holy faith. There's lots of ways to, to context the gospel and present it in like a short, concise way. Uh, John Piper has one a one-sentence gospel that I really like, and so I'm just going to use that one, although you could say it lots of different ways. Here's, here's how Piper breaks down the gospel in one sentence. The gospel is the news that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins and rose again. Eternally triumphant over all his enemies, so that there is now no condemnation for those who believe, but only everlasting joy. So Jude is saying, we keep ourselves in the most holy faith, or we keep ourselves by building upon that truth, that foundation upon which is is the one on which we build our lives. Jesus said something similar in Matthew seven. Everyone who hears these words of mine, Jesus says, and does them is like the wise man who builds his house on a rock. The rain falls, the floods come, the winds blow and beat on the house, but it does not fall because it had been founded on the rock. So so practically for us, get this out of theory into practice, it means we regularly sit under the teaching of the Bible. We scour its pages to make sure that what, all that we're hearing and taking in, even from this pulpit, even from what you hear up here, we scour these pages to make sure that it aligns with what God has already revealed in his word. And we open it ourselves and we feast on it from its riches because it leads us to Christ who is the word of God incarnate and we grow and we are built up. That's what I think Jude is referencing here when he talks about building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Second, Jude says, praying in the spirit. And can I just encourage you, especially for some of you who grew up in maybe more um, conservative church circles, praying in the spirit. Jude is not talking about some kind of spiritual prayer that is only for the super charismatic or extremely spiritual person. That's not what he's talking about here. This is ordinary prayer supernatural spiritual engagement with God. It's supernatural because it's relying on the Holy Spirit. And it's ordinary because praying within the Holy Spirit or with the Spirit or in the power of the Holy Spirit is the kind of prayer that every person who has the Holy Spirit living within them prays. And, and Jude's drawing a contrast. The divisive people who cause division and strife and are focused on themselves and lovers of the world Jude, remember, he says, they don't have the Spirit, but you do. You have the Holy Spirit. Paul says in Ephesians 6, he's describing the armor of God that is available to every Christian. Verse 18, Paul says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So here's all Jude is saying. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you have the indwelling Spirit of God. And if you do, then when you come to God in prayer, whether it's with gratitude or with grief, with supplications, these, these requests, or we're singing songs of praise to him in our prayers, you have at your disposal the power and the wisdom of the Spirit of God who even helps us when we don't even know how to pray. That's true of us. Jude says, praying in the Spirit. And third, Jude says, and waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the, uh, the already and the not yet part of this passage. It's an encouragement to us as we live here in this broken world. Old Testament Book of Lamentations, chapter 3, says this it's a beautiful little treasure. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, his mercies never come to an end. They, the, the Lord's mercy is available to me, they are new. Every morning, great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. Notice the present tense reality of Lamentations 3. His steadfast love, his faithfulness are here and real and sure. The Lord is my portion, like present tense, now, today. And so I know that his mercy is available to me right now in its fullness. And when I wake up tomorrow, guess what? It's all new all over again. We cannot plumb to the bottom of the well that is God's mercy. That's what Lamentations is saying. And it is fully available to me right here and right now. And, and we know that mercy is coming, Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, he says this, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, Paul writes. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But we hope for what we do not see, for we wait for it with patience the mercy of God has come to us in the person of Jesus to save us and mercy is coming as we wait for Jesus to return and bring about the consummation of the kingdom that he has begun and so then on that day complete mercy and love and justice and glory will be revealed Building up, praying in the Spirit, waiting for mercy. So the question that comes out of this is, where do you suppose the Spirit of God is desiring to strengthen you in this regard? Is it a saturation and a building up in the truth? Is it a deeper, more dependent life of prayer? Or maybe we just need our eyes kind of lifted from the cares of this world into an eternal hope of God's unending mercy. I think Jude is saying that this internal work of perseverance, how do we live in this world? Part of that is marked by keeping, keeping ourselves in the love of God through building up in the truth, praying in the spirit, and waiting with expectation for God's coming mercy. That's the first part of perseverance, the internal work. And you might be tempted to be like, that's enough. I'm full. We'll just stop there. I got to work on me a little bit, right? Maybe you're feeling a little conviction as I was and working through this sermon this week and I'm like, maybe we'll just stop there. That's enough. I already, I, I'm feeling a little ouch. We're good. Or maybe because, well, Jude's speaking to a group, like the yous are plural here when he says you. Maybe we can just persevere in this broken world by just, we'll just huddle up. We'll build a little compound. We'll grow our own food and stack our own ammo and just hold out until the end. Got to say that's sometimes appealing, Right? Maybe you're like, I don't want to live in a commune with you, Jake. (laughs) But that's part of it, too. Maybe we'll just hold on till the end. But Jude doesn't actually stop there. There's more. Jude has a little bit more to say about perseverance. And I just want us to understand, there's absolutely an internal work here, but there's an external work as well. If the internal work is marked by keeping, the external work is marked by giving. Jude takes this idea... That we're waiting for mercy, and then kind of leverages it. That that we should be motivated by this same mercy. Because perseverance isn't only hanging on till the end, just white knuckle grip, and hopefully we make it. Perseverance, according to Jude, is decidedly missional and intentional because God has rescued a people in order to advance a kingdom and proclaim his gospel. He blesses his people so that they will be a blessing to the nations. It was his promise, his covenant promise at the beginning with Abraham. So if perseverance internally is a sense of remaining, perseverance externally is rescuing. So we're motivated by mercy to to give and extend mercy. And then Jude gives us, you guessed it, three more categories of people who mercy needs to be extended to. Those who doubt, those who are in danger, and those who are defiled. Look at verse 22. Verse 22, Jude says, and, starts a sentence with and, it's okay. And, doesn't just stop with the internal work, and have mercy on those who doubt. This word mercy is the same word for God's mercy that we're waiting for. Verse 21. And it simply means to show kindness or concern for someone in serious need. We are waiting for God's mercy. We are waiting for God's mercy because we recognize we're in need of it. And we have mercy on those with genuine doubt because they are in serious need. James 1.6 describes uh, the one who has a doubt like this. The one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And part of us might go like, oh, the one who doubts is just being driven along. Like, what an, what an idiot. He's got no anchor. Which is true. We're all idiots Sometimes. But if you look at it from a side of compassion as well, think about it. In a little boat, no rudder, no oar, no sail, and the the crushing sea winds are battering that tiny little boat in the middle of nowhere. That's the picture of doubt. Outside forces pushing so strongly against us that we are driven back or driven way off course. This is doubt. It keeps us unsure I mean, can we really commit? There's nothing here to even put an anchor down to. Am I even on the right course? Are we sure this is the right way? And depending on the kind of doubt or where we find ourselves, it can drive us to anxiety and worry and ultimately to despair. And Jude says, show kindness and concern for those who doubt. Now, our postmodern culture takes the idea of doubt and has raised it to a virtue. Virtue. Like, it is more virtuous to doubt. Like, you probably shouldn't settle on anything. Absolutes are dangerous. You have to be subjective and open-minded on everything. But that's not the kind of doubt Jude's talking about here. We don't live in our doubts forever. We don't treat doubt as a virtue. But we just see it as a reality. A reality of the fracturing effects of sin on all humanity which, like everything that has been broken by sin, it needs gospel medicine. So in order for a faithful, to be a faithful witness of the gospel, in order for us to be ministers of mercy, Jude says, have mercy on those who doubt, those who are genuinely wrestling with big questions. The brilliant British thinker and writer G.K. Chesterton, absolutely brilliant and really hilarious. Um, he once wrote this. Merely having an open mind is nothing. The object of opening the mind as of opening the mouth is to shut it again on something solid. It doesn't remain open forever. Right? The whole intent is that it finds something solid to anchor to. That's why, Jude says, have mercy on those who doubt. We don't shoot the doubters like we shoot the wolves. But in kindness, we show mercy and share with them the remarkable And hopeful truth about the gospel of Jesus. That there's a sure hope here. There's something to sink your proverbial teeth into. And that truth can overcome our doubts and our fears. Jude says, have mercy on those who doubt. Part of persevering in this world is the extension of God's mercy on the doubter. Here's the second group. Verse 23. Those in danger. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. My family likes all things like camping and bonfires. Like they're like, if, if we say bonfire, they go marshmallow, right? They're just, they're in, they're ready. Maybe you enjoy cooking out over a fire or whatever. Have you ever dropped something into the fire? You're cooking it, you're like, you hold it there a little too long and it's like just, the marshmallow melts right off the end of the stick. If you drop a marshmallow into the fire, it's gone. Like you're not going to save that probably some of you might try but you're weird like you're not gonna save that it's gone but if you drop a hot dog or a brat you're cooking over the fire I might go after that depending on where it falls right you just wash it off you can't wash off a marshmallow but you can wash off a bratwurst <laughs> I got a, a yup, amen you save that that costs like three dollars you say marshmallows are cheap but man you're gonna eat that hot dog right? it'll be fine right You remember from last week, the scriptures speak of God's coming judgment as a fire, an eternal and all-consuming fire. And so Jude is essentially saying this, those who are lost are in danger. Their souls are in danger of fire. So motivated by mercy, snatch those who are in danger out of the fire. Here's the challenge. That has both risk and urgency wrapped up in it, doesn't it? Something falls in the fire, doesn't have long before it's consumed. And it's risky because you have to go in after it. See, the reality is nobody knows just how close our lives are to the end. We used to joke like I could walk out of here and get hit by a bus after church, which is interesting because buses don't run on Sundays, which is weird because you think someone needs to ride the bus on a Sunday, but it could happen tomorrow. I could fall asleep tonight and not wake up. The scriptures all over the place speak to life as a vapor, as a mist, as a blade of grass that grows in the morning and by the evening it has withered. So, faithful perseverance in this world includes an urgent pursuit of people who are lost and in danger. Like, what would you do if after church today someone's walking across the street? And that light changes, but you're pretty sure this car coming down main does not see them. But you do. Snatch them from the middle of the street, right? That's the idea. If you truly believe they're in danger, Jude says you snatch them from the fire. And so a question I've been uncomfortably wrestling with this week is, am I too casual here? Am I too content to just let the world go to hell? I think sometimes I am. I mean, I'll have time to talk to that person eventually. I'm working myself up to it. I don't want to be too pushy, right? Maybe, maybe I'm not sure it's worth it. It's too difficult. So my personal wrestle this week, and welcome to my wrestle. You're in it now too. Perhaps we need our desire for the lost around us to hear the gospel Maybe we need that urgency turned up to 11. Charles Spurgeon, who was a passionate evangelistic preacher, challenged his congregation with this. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they're going to perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Ouch. And amen. We urgently proclaim the mercy of God in the gospel to those who are in danger. And third, Jude references those who are defiled. Verse 23 says, To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Defiled. It means dirty and stained, unclean, right? Sin corrupts everything. And notice what Jude says. Actually, notice what he doesn't say. Jude doesn't say, write off the sinner, write off the one who is too far gone. Because there is no too far gone when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jude says show mercy, which is gospel language, by the way. If Christ came to us in love, extending to us mercy while we were still sinners and enemies, then our calling as followers of Jesus is to engage other sinners with God's mercy through the proclamation of the gospel. And notice the caveat Jude says here, this third group of people where he says, and to others show mercy with fear. If you remember back in verse 12, those who sit at their feasts, who shipwreck others, they sit there without fear, Jude said in verse 12. They have no fear of God. They have no fear of judgment. They don't even think about what God has said. And yet here Jude says, no, no, show mercy with fear, with caution. Why? Because Satan is crafty, because sin is deceptive and deceitful. And so Jude includes this caution to say, hey, watch yourselves, so that as you move toward others and show mercy to those who are still stuck in their sin, that you would not be tempted to fall into that same sin yourself, but will be able to, in the power of the Spirit, reach out an arm and extend mercy. We have to know ourselves, like the hymn says, right? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave, the God I love. There's a story um, about a man named John Bradford from the 16th century who's standing there watching convicted criminals, guilty convicted criminals, be marched to their execution. And Bradford is watching them be marched, justly executed for their crimes, marched to their execution. And John says, but for the grace of God, there goes John Bradford. He was recognizing that if it wasn't for the undeserved mercy and grace of God, he would be right there So there's this holy fear that Jude says we should have. An honest assessment of both the deceitfulness of sin, that if not for God's undeserving grace, undeserved grace, we would be overtaken. And also because of God's grace and the power of the Spirit, that holy fear then doesn't hold us back from the mission that God has called us to. Paul says to the church in Corinth, In 2 Corinthians chapter 5. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ in this way, we regard him thus no longer. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, if this is God's mission and this is his message, therefore, we are his ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And what's our message? We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Why? Because of the gospel. Because for our sake, he made him who had no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So so the posture that Jude is, is encouraging us to have as we live in this world is one of holy fear, desiring to walk in holiness, to flee temptation, to honor God with every aspect of our lives, mind, body, and soul, and a posture toward others that's one of mercy and urgency with a mission to proclaim the gospel, to call the lost to repentance and reconciliation through faith in Jesus. It's both. And, and so what I'm hoping we are able to pull from just these few verses in Jude is this exhortation to persevere. It, do, it, it means we don't find our hope in this world, but it also means we don't just Throw in the towel and give up either. Instead, this is what perseverance looks like, according to Jude, in this crazy world in which we live. That those who are forever kept by our good and gracious Father, we labor in the power of the Holy Spirit to walk and stay near to Jesus. Built up in faith, praying in the Spirit, and expectantly waiting for Jesus to return. Eyes fixed on eternity. And it also means that we labor in the power of the Holy Spirit to be extenders of mercy, givers of mercy, to show mercy and proclaim the mercy of the gospel with urgency so that those who are lost might be found. It's both. This is how Jude says we can live in this messed up and broken world. We live filled with the Holy Spirit and persevere, keeping and giving by faith. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, our good and gracious Father, we thank you for your mercy to us in Jesus that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Thank you that it is you who loves us and it is you that holds us fast. Father, we ask you would give us all that we need by the power of your Holy Spirit, to walk by faith, to persevere, to hold fast to you, and to be so motivated by your mercy to us that we would be bold in our proclaiming of your mercy, that we'd be compassionate, that we'd be willing to to risk, that we'd feel the urgency of our short time so that your gospel could be known that your kingdom would advance, and that sinners would be saved. Would you convict us, encourage us, build us up, even now as we come to the table? Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Would you fill us afresh now? In Jesus' name, amen.